0: We're going to be looking at Psalm 18, and in that psalm, I think, is, um, is an instruction manual for a lot of things that uh, are going to come alive today, hopefully, in our hearts and our minds, um, and as we do that, um, I, I just want to uh, ask a question. How many of you have ever been struck by lightning? Anybody? You've been struck by lightning? Oh, no kidding. So pretty powerful and traumatic all at once. How many of you have ever been standing nearby and seen lightning strike really close and felt the effect of a lot of you guys? Well, rest assured... Some people say, well, if I go to church, then lightning is going to strike me here. I've never seen that happen. I think it's a no lightning zone. But nonetheless, um, we do have lightning rods, I think, on the building in case that does happen. If you've ever been close to lightning and you felt its effect or you've actually been touched by lightning, which there was a person in the first service as well who was an electrician and they they got a little bit of a zap too, you know that it's pretty powerful and pretty formidable. Maybe you still can't relate. How many of you have ever stuck your finger in a light socket? Okay. Or put a key or something in an electrical socket. Alright, so I'm just going to make sure that everybody's included in this experience. And it's not pleasant, is it, by any stretch. But when you see electricity uh, in a light socket, it's not that bad because you recover. But when you see lightning bolts just flaming down from the heavens, that's a scary thing, isn't it? Well, the psalm we're getting ready to look at basically shows us a variety of forces that are at work In the lives of the believer, believe it or not, you and I, that oftentimes we're fearful of. But it's just a way to showcase how powerful God is. And I want you to walk away from this sermon today, having the assurance that no matter what forces are at work in your life right now that make you fearful, anxious, overwhelmed, uncertain, depressed, despondent, and it could come from a variety of fronts. It could be the fact that your job is kind of iffy right now. It could be the fact that you had a health report and it's scary right now. It could be someone that you know that you love dearly is going through a big transition or maybe you're going through that yourself. It could be that there is a relationship that you have that is not where you would like it to be and you're fearful that it'll never get healthy again. And I could just go on and on with scenarios that come in here every Sunday when people gather. Because if we were able to just lay our hearts bare and say, Pastor, these are the things I'm afraid of. These are the things that I lose sleep over. This is what I brought into this room. And I'm not asking you to share that with me as a pastor, although if you want to, you can. And hopefully, if you do, and sometimes people do, you can rest assured that it it stays with me. I don't tell it to a whole lot of people. I'm kind of like Las Vegas. Whatever, you know, happens with the pastor and what you're bearing your soul with, I forget. God gives me the ability to forget, and it doesn't go any farther than that. But at the end of the day, there are monsters that we all find ourselves keeping down, keeping away, but they are nonetheless real and we're fearful at times that they're going to manifest and just destroy our lives. I don't think that's not been the case for a very long time, certainly from the period of the Bible up to the present. There have always been adversaries and foes and forces at work against the lives of people. That the Bible does a pretty candid job of bringing it to the surface and saying, this is a thing. And if you're reading through the Psalms, this guy named David who shows up so much... It's interesting because when you hear Bible stories as a kid, you think of people like David as a hero. But when you read it as an adult and you find that there are several chapters that describe David's life, and many of them, he's done some things that I know he feels a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. I know he's had moments where he's wondered if God hasn't just left him completely. And I know that his fears have run deep on all the fronts I've imagined and even more. And those forces at work in his own heart, in his own life, in his own world, were just a constant. Matter of fact, when we read Psalm 18, which we're getting ready to read, I want you to know a few things about it before we go into it. And that is, in that moment of worship we just had, where it was sort of a soul-bearing time before God's throne, and you just felt like, yeah, God is with me and I know he's been with me and if you're new you're starting to experience that but if you've been around the block for a while you know that every time you come in here and you say God I know you're with me there's a story behind that that gives that rich meaning and when David says in this psalm I love you Lord oh Lord my strength He's saying it from his gut. I mean, everything is just pouring out. Because, honestly, he's been dealing with a lot. Here's what he's been up against. The king has singled him out as a person that should be put to death. And for a number of years he's being tracked down by King Saul because King Saul sees him as a threat to his throne. And so for a number of years, a portion of the Bible describes David in this place where he's constantly on the run. He's a fugitive and he's going here and going there and he's just missing by that far, having his head cut off, missing by that far, getting uh, slain with a spear or an arrow. And constantly he's feeling this sense that, God must be with him because he's kept me so far. And then he gets to a place where not only does he have the king after him, but now he has to fight some people. And, well, they're like military, industrial strength, high caliber, best of the best of the best, military um, savvy, and in um, and, 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 and ways of strategy, pretty on their game. And they've been after him. And all of these things are on his heart whenever he's saying what we're getting ready to read here in just a minute. And there's probably a whole lot more. And if, you, if you've ever, let me just, if you ever had an idea about who God is... But you never had an experience of that idea, then you really don't know who God is except through what the words describe. Let me just illustrate this by being married for 30 years. After my wife and I were married, we decided, or rather, I decided it would be a good idea to go to Disney World and see Space Mountain. Partly because when it was built, my parents took me there but Space Mountain hadn't been quite completed and I had felt like I was cheated out of that in my childhood and I guess she probably thinks I leveraged this opportunity to go and try to reclaim it. Thankfully, my wife was very patient with me and has been for 30 years and so she went with it because she thought it would, it would be pretty fun too. So the first thing that I did on entering the gates of the Magic Kingdom, was go to this place. And the cool thing was as my wife and I were venturing to the, uh, to, to the line to get ready to go in, we discovered that there weren't a lot of people rushing for the line and I thought, that means we're gonna get in quick and maybe I can do two laps. So the closer we get, less and less people and then pretty soon it becomes obvious why there are no people. There's a sign right there at the entry point that says, close for your future convenience. Well, this is the future, and there's no convenience yet because I haven't done it. But I thought, you know what? I wonder if we can see inside. And the fact of the matter was, there was a tram. You could ride around on the inside and see exactly what it looked like. And, and that's not spaghetti. That is what the ride looks like. And I thought, I heard it was fun, but... That is just sheer chaos. I'm not even sure if I want to go there. Anybody gone to space on Space Mountain? So you guys know. Okay, great. So here I am being timid and you're like, pastor, you need to step up your courage game. Well, I looked at that vision and I thought, I never for the life of me imagined that's what Space Mountain looked like on the inside. And up to this point, all I can tell you is all I know about it is what's in that picture. I don't know what the ride is like. I don't have that experience. I can just point to a picture and describe it, but that's it. There's a big gap between personal knowledge and just some information that I've obtained. Well, that's, that's like the first, uh, I guess, the chapter of our marriage. And you're going in and you're thinking it's going to be great. But what I I've discovered on looking backwards is that this is this experience actually set the tone for what's to come because later on that evening we went back to the hotel and there was like a jacuzzi out, out in the out in the out in the courtyard because it's Florida and you can just have that right there in the open and we were sitting back and relaxing and enjoying the jets you know and just just totally chilling when somebody in the jacuzzi said did you hear about the earthquake and we're like w- what earthquake and they said well I guess they just had one in San Francisco and it, and and I hear that it's pretty bad so we went back to our room and we saw the Nimitz crushing in on the other on, on the, on the two-lane, the two-tier highway and the one crushed a whole bunch of cars and all the houses that were either knocked off their foundation or the, um, the houses that were burning down and I'm like whoa, that's a disturbing set of images that we're looking at. I'm glad that's way out there and honestly that we're here. Now Obviously, what happened out there was something that a lot of people had been saying is going to happen, and finally it did. Have you ever been in an earthquake, by the way? Anybody been in an earthquake? No, because we're in Ohio, for crying out loud, people. We don't have earthquakes here. Although since fracking, we do have earthquakes. So we're, we're, we're also included in that mix. But whenever I was a kid, we lived in California, and it seemed like every day the, the ground was shaking. And if you've experienced that, you know how unsettling it is whenever the very ground that you think of all places, at least that's a stable place, that even that is unstable and uncertain. And the earthquake is something that is such a common occurrence out there that people just have a low-grade anxiety about it until, it until things start falling off the shelves. And then, you know, they, they leave the house or they get underneath something and they just pray that this isn't the big one. And that's an unsettling feeling, isn't it? To think that there is no place of stability that you could ever go. And it's unsettling to think that I could go out hiking in the woods and a storm could blow in and the next thing you know it, lightning bolts are flying. And for some of us, we didn't get enough out of the way. And so there's a couple of threatening things that begin to cycle into your imagination and mine. And what they are are reminders of the fact that when you begin your journey in this life, there are forces at work in the world that are far greater than you are. And there's a lot of us who have... Well, we've gone from reading about lightning bolts and reading about earthquakes and reading about Space Mountain and hearing about things like tornadoes and just pick your natural disaster and finding that as we've lived through them, we have a completely different understanding. And my thought about going into a marriage was it's going to be like this jacuzzi. It's all going to be great. But then as I have thought about it 30 years hindsight and I've lived it out and I have a wonderful wife who's been very patient with me but I would say the roller coaster ride in Space Mountain is kind of what life is like because you're going this way and then pretty soon you're going that way then you're going that way and you do feel out of control don't you Sometimes. And there are a lot of things that as you go through life, it throws at you. And because of that, some of us wake up to the fact that I don't have control over these things. And some of us become aware that we don't have control of a lot of things. And that leads us to a pretty interesting place, doesn't it? Because we have to decide... Are we just going to hope for the best? White knuckle it and try to get through it and just by chance avoid the lightning bolts and, the, and live in Ohio where there's no earthquakes only to find out there's earthquakes and other natural disasters. But as you go through life and life's experiences start to pile on you discover oh we have, a, we have student debt. Oh we're expecting. Oh we've Got a cancer scare. Oh, there's a financial couple of dots that aren't matching up the way they're supposed to. Oh, I didn't realize she had that tendency or he had that characteristic. And all of those things, well, they kind of knock us out. And some of us try to find a means to overcome beyond ourselves. At a place like this, a church, where we hear about how God is there as a source of strength for whatever it is that we face. There's one more image that is pretty violent and overpowering, and I'm not sure if it's real or not. Whenever my daughter was um, little, she tuned into reptiles and dragons, and she went through a phase that has actually not ended, where she's been fascinated with dragons. Anybody ever seen a dragon? No, except on TV. Okay. And there are different dragons out there. There's even a mechanical dragon that's a robotic one in Germany. Looks kind of like that in case you're not sure what I'm talking about. But I have a feeling you all do. And the the intimidating aspect of a dragon is its capacity to be a flamethrower. Now... I don't know why Mayim is so interested in dragons. Thankfully, she didn't end up being a pyromaniac as she grew up, but for some reason, when she would get the modeling clay, she would always make dragons. And when the day arrived, when the Discovery Channel said, we're getting ready to do a documentary on of all things where dragons came from. And so what they did is they they went back to Europe and the Middle Ages, and they talked about the possibility that these particular bones that we've dug up out of the ground, in fact happen to be the remains of a very rare dragon. And you could just see her eyes, just why she's glued to this whole thing. And then they they went on to describe how it is that a, a dragon could physically breathe fire and what the mechanism was that would allow that to occur. And how it could possibly fly and how there were examples in the history of the fossil record that that was a thing. And as the plausibility of dragons just continued to unfold in this documentary, you could just see the hope welling up. Like, one of these days, Dad, we're going to see a dragon. And, you know, I'm just kind of watching this like I do most things. I'm, I'm open, but I'm also skeptical. So I'm just watching her and I'm watching it and then well at the end of the documentary after all this unfolds and she's just like yes they said well in reality there's no such thing as dragons. I can't tell you how crushing that was. I mean we have moments of trauma for sure that define the rest of our lives in some way because it just impacted us. I think that was a trauma moment for Mayam. She was not happy. She was hugely disappointed. And I think there was a part of her that said the excitement of knowing that there's a possibility of a dragon somewhere on the timeline means that there may be a possibility of me seeing a dragon. And she was thinking about all the genetic stuff that scientists are doing and holding out hope. My thought was thank the Lord there are no dragons. I mean there's enough problems going on out there that we've got to deal with that when we go out hiking in the woods. But just stop for a second and think about the imagery of a dragon in and of itself. So powerful that that the Hobbit, if you've ever read the book or saw the movie, you know that the big adversary happens to be Smog the dragon who's guarding all of the treasure that belonged to, um, uh, I'm not going to go where it belonged to because my wife will correct me. So it belonged to somebody important. And that imagery actually, believe it or not, is found in the Bible. That The Bible describes something called the Leviathan and it's believed that there are other biblical texts that connect that to the imagery of a dragon. But when we read Psalm 18 it actually talks about a fire breathing animal like a dragon. It also talks about a force so powerful that it controls lightning. And it describes a force that is capable of shifting the ground at at will. And in the background of David's mind, he's thinking of a king who's been trying to kill him. And before Psalm 18 was written, Second Samuel 21 was written. Have you ever heard of David and Goliath? Have you ever heard of Goliath's three, three other brothers who were also giants? In 2 Samuel 21, it describes these giants. And so, here I am, I'm about six foot tall. And imagine, imagine a giant almost twice as tall as I am. Only there's not one, there's four of them. And David not only is trying to keep the king from, from removing his life from planet earth, he's got these four giants that are harassing God's people giants who are well-trained. If you, have a, if you have somebody that you're trying to defeat, you can hire these guys as mercenaries. That's really what they were. They're mercenaries for hire. And I don't know about you, but if I was in an army situation and all I knew how to do was, was um, you know, use my spear or something like that to take on a giant who's slain hundreds and hundreds of people, I don't know that my morale would be hugely up there. I don't know that my confidence would be like, yeah, I can take him. I got to think that when people saw these four brothers, sometimes one at a time, they just dropped their, their weaponry and they ran for the hills. And so most of the battles they fought were just sheer intimidation. Well, right before David wrote this psalm, the psalm is actually from 2 Samuel 22, not that that matters for a lot of us, but it's just, an expression of gratitude to God because powerful forces have been working against him. And David's come to this place where these 10-foot giants who are described as having six fingers and six toes who look like WWF on steroids on steroids, and no one can take him down. And he and his men... Took all four of them down. And he takes zero credit for it. Because he discovered something. That I hope a lot of us discover along the way. That this information in the Bible that says God is powerful. That God is capable. That God is our protector. That God is our deliverer. God is our savior. Goes from just being some stuff you hear in a sermon. Or you read in the Bible. To something that in your gut. Your senses. I kind of believe those words because I've experienced it. And David had, and after all the giants are laying on the ground and people are picking up souvenirs from it, he's got to stop and pray. And he's got to, he feels the strong urge to express to God his take on all of this stuff that's been working against him in his life all the monsters, all of the fears, all the sleepless nights. And Second Samuel 22, 1, paralleling Psalm 18, this is the gist of it. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Why? Why? Because he went from spending time with God in his word and hearing some ideas... To having some life experiences that showed that God is real. God is trustworthy. God is faithful. And God is my strength. So he just cuts loose. And here's what he does. As he says this, he he expands it even further. Let's just go ahead and look at it. And he declares. And I I, I would say he declares it with a lot of passion. Because he's a passionate guy. And he says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And as he's making this declaration, he describes the feeling the feeling of being right on the edge where you get a sense that death could possibly claim you. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol, which is another name for death, entangled me. Have you ever had a near death experience? Have you ever had a close call? Have you ever driven with someone that made you feel like this could be a near death experience? (laughs) I won't go any farther than that. Other than to say, if, if, if that's not been the case, then perhaps you've had a moment of sickness, or you have had a horrifying, potentially life threatening set of circumstances pressed down on you. Perhaps you did something stupid whenever you were younger, and the angels of God in the background said, It's not time yet. And maybe all of the above or none of the above, but being right on the edge of death is a scary place, but it's also a clarifying space. Because if, you, if, you, if you're getting ready to die, you're thinking what's important and what's not. What really matters and what is it that I've spent all of my time chasing that doesn't really amount to too much? You know a lot of people have had that moment of clarity, and other people have taken it a step further and they've said the only thing that really matters is God. Because he's the only one who can take this experience and move me beyond it. And David expressed that because he saw God as having that kind of power. And he cries to him for help and the imagery is God is in his temple and he's in this holy space and David is out at ground level in in the bush just kind of living an earthly existence of running away from things defeating things and probably needs a bath and he cries out to the Lord and the Lord says I hear that because I've been paying attention to this one And this one has actually been increasingly paying attention to me. And when it reached God's ears, David says, this is what happened next. Then the earth reeled and rocked and the foundations and the mountains trembled and quaked and... God was angry and smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth like a dragon glowing coals flame forth from him. And it was just this horrifying encounter with the most frightening beast that a person's imagination could conceive of. Even in in the time following, the, the most evil person that the Bible talks about, Satan himself is described as a dragon, but not before God is shown to have the capacity to provoke fear like a dragon. Okay, you with me? So, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet and he rode on a cherub and flew and he came swiftly on the wings of the wind. Let me just stop right there for a minute because there was one other character that I forgot about. The cherub. You ever hear the word cherub? New baby? Oh, that baby looks just like a little cherub. Let me just show you a picture of somebody's imagination of what a cherub looks like. Because in the very opening part of the Bible, it describes two people being asked to leave the garden. And then there was a cherubim that was set at the gate. To defer or deter anybody from coming into um, the Garden of Eden, and it said that he had a sword like, a, or they had a sword like a fire, and they were just this hugely intimidating presence that kept everyone out from a space that was originally designed for us to inhabit. It was that special and that sacred. And so David is also saying that in our imagination as we're trying to conjure up the most powerful forces that we can think of that one's included let's go back to our text and he made darkness his covering his canopy around him thick clouds dark with water out of the brightness before him hailstones and coals of fire broke through his wait a minute has anybody been in a hailstorm? was it fun? Were you mad because your car was getting dented up? Or were you fearing for your life? Because <laughs> there's a whole range of responses. Let's just go with fearing for your life. For $20. Okay. Now all of this stuff is being described. To give us a sense. Of who God is. And so fire broke through the thick clouds. And then let's just, let's just dig in a little bit farther. And the Lord thundered in heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out with his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Now, if I were a kid in the audience right now, I'd be saying, I am never going back in there because that God is scary. So I'm just going to stop right there. I think we get the point. And I think that God is scary in a sense. There's something about this God that is so powerful, he's frightening. But there's another thing about this God that says that that frightening power is not directed towards you and I, but against things that would negatively and dramatically impact you and I. And I think that's something to consider. It's another way of saying that God is a safe place. How do I know? Because this is what David says next. By the way, these are pretty powerful acts, aren't they? I mean, wouldn't it be great to just say, yeah, i got, got this adversary, that country over there. Could you bring, I don't know, dragon power, lightning power, earthquake power, and just sort of, serve notice wouldn't that be great I got to think that would be very disarming for them so here he describes all of this the blast of the breath from his nostrils the fire coming out and he sent from on high and he took me and he drew me out of many waters essentially it's a way of saying I'm rescuing you Let's move into the next part. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. And let's just insert everything that we're afraid of that we don't have the power to overcome that's working against us. It's another way of saying God is able. Not only is God able, God wants to. I want to stop for a second again. And I want to ask the question. Have you ever came into church. And felt like there's something in your life. Or in your background. That you really don't want to talk about. And it makes you feel almost like. Not worth as much. Because of that. And sometimes you feel like. I don't even know if I'm worthy of coming to church. And I know there are people in. In this, in this room that have if they don't have it right now have had that experience where they feel like yeah I'm not in a good place to meet with God. I'm not in a good place to come close to God. Matter of fact my sense is God doesn't want anything to do with me. And I just want to tell you that's a lie. That is a lie from hell. That is another way for the evil one to try to just Let us defeat ourselves. God of all things wants us to be in this room. And he's given us a way to do it. But some of you may still be doubting. And some of you may still be saying, Yeah, I get it, Leonard. But not me. Well, have you been responsible for the death of 70,000 people? No. Did you did you do something in public as a king that um, demoralized the whole kingdom? Have you done anything that that's that dramatic? Anybody? Well, I know you're saying, yeah, I did that dramatic, but I can't tell everybody. I'm guessing not. David did. And yet the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. How can you say that? When he's got all of this baggage, because God knows that we're a messy people. We have issues. And there are things about us that are unlikable. And there are things about us that knock us down. But when he sees us, he also sees something else. There are things about us that he says, I would like to spend forever with you. Now can you imagine that? Wanting to spend forever with messed up people? How, how 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 do you how do you fix that? Here's how it ends. He says this. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out of the broad place and he rescued me into a broad place and he rescued me because, and I like what you pointed out this morning, Rich, the most powerful act, the most incredible act of God, the most indescribable category that that, that in a sense summarizes where God's heart is at and his greatest action is is in the fact that he delights in you and I he delights in you and I you ever delight in something anybody get a new dog or a new cat and you delight in it and then you got it for a while and then you're like hmm where'd the delight go <laughs> kind of disappeared didn't it and then it's like who can avoid taking the dog out in the middle of the night who can avoid cleaning the litter box Who can avoid the cat that's trying to wake you up at 4 o'clock in the morning? Where's the delight in that? But there's something about you and I that God says, I have a way. I have a way to defeat all the forces of evil that are working against you because I'm a formidable power. And I have a way of pulling you in. And I'll tell you what that way is. It's a bloodstained cross. That the Son of God... Was crucified on. And when that happened. Some powerful things happened. The most powerful things in the world happened. All of our sin. All of our shame. All of the stuff that we have. In the form of baggage. That we're embarrassed about. That we feel like makes us not. Be able to be included. All of that stuff. Jesus said. Give it to me. And I'll take. It's effect and consequences. On this cross. Why? Because God. Believe it or not. Every one of you in this room. Delights. In you. But you know what else is powerful about that bloodstained cross? Not only is it a marker in time that defines why we say 2020 or 2019, not only is it a way of saying uh, to the world as is displayed in necklaces and jewelry and all of that stuff, there is something power, uh, powerful about this cross that disarms all the forces of evil. I even tell people, if you have stuff in your house or your space where you're like, my five senses don't show me anything, but I just have this feeling that something evil is at work. Keep a cross handy. Now, I'm not superstitious. I'm just saying it is a reminder to things unseen you lose. And the people that honor what that cross represents are actually not worshipping the cross. They are saying that cross reminds all of us seen and unseen that Jesus won the victory. And he is king of kings. And he is lord of lords. And that cross is a way of just giving notice. To any force at work in the universe. You may be powerful. But you're not as powerful as I am. And that cross also reminds us. As much as it took on the violence of the world. And disarmed it. That this is the degree That God would go to sacrifice whatever it took to claim you and I so he could delight in us. And that's why we worship him. Because he makes all of that possible. And God may be doing a couple of things right now. He may be taking your pain, your monster, your trial. And he may be allowing that to happen. So that when it is going on. You have a decision to make. And that decision is this. I can either just say, you know, woe is me. I'm a victim. And, you know, life just isn't that great. Or we can say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to ask you to rescue me. I'm going to wait on you. And I hope that in time my, my, my trust in those promises is not misplaced. Do you remember at the beginning of the message we talked about we know things from information like Space Mountain which I've never experienced never had the privilege of losing my lunch at the end of it nothing like that and people that have gone the distance went for the ride and saw that it wasn't exactly what they thought it was but it was not too bad. I would say that some of us have realized God is in the business of taking all of our pain all of our struggle and using that to shine the light on what he can do for us to help us and then help us and this is kind of where I end my story because I think that is one of the most incredible things of all but bundled into it is the specific notion that God delights in you This may sound corny, but I'd like for you to just say it with me. God delights in me. Would you do it? One, two, three. God delights in me. And if you did, you're just affirming a biblical truth that describes it all. And Jesus made it possible. And so we may be at a place where you need to invite him in. And whatever's working against you, ask him to help, and he will. Or maybe you just have sort of let it go, and you need to reclaim it again because his forces are starting to work against you again. Whatever the case may be, God loves you. He's patient. He hates the things that are trying to kill us, but he also works through it to make us right with him. So life with him forever is not so messy. Would you bow with me? Father, as I conclude this message, I know it's a lot to try to take 3,000 years worth of information and bundle it into a moment. But I ask, Father, that whatever it is that you've had to say through me or through your word, I just ask that it would speak to every heart here. And if you have, Lord, I pray that you would use that as a, a means by which we could just continue to draw closer. To trust you. To have the assurance that Joining your group isn't um, impossible. That our shame isn't a deal breaker. That you love to take what we have that's broken and heal it. So I pray for healing for everyone here. I pray for those who are seeking to claim that you can do that. And whatever it is that we brought into the room that we're fighting, I just pray that you would help everyone to fight that battle in your strength, Lord, like David. And just thank you for the privilege of being able to speak your word. In Jesus' name, amen.